thank you, each one of you, for coming. Uh, it's Saturday morning. It's going to be a beautiful day. The sun is out, and I know that uh, uh, everybody would like to be enjoying that in some ways, so I thank you for coming. One of the uh, things that uh, bothered uh, Barbara and me when we uh, took this position, when I did, from the standpoint of, of talking to other people and trying to motivate them to do evangelism, is that uh, we were each in the workforce ourselves. And so we, you know, we worked all week, and then I did Bible classes and, and preached all on Sunday. And we felt that it was actually good to motivate others because nobody could ever say to us, well, you know, that I've got a job, etc., because we had a job also, you know, and, and we did it. And I was afraid of losing that leverage, you know, that, and people thinking, well, you know, if, if that's all I did, I'd have time to do it also. Uh, when in reality, uh, as we're going to see getting through here, evangelism will not work unless it is a congregational effort. It just simply will not. And my understanding of, of the position here is that uh, my function is to develop uh, an evangelistic program that would be of such a nature uh, that in a couple of years, if I just walked off or, or I got shot or what, that you would have a program in motion uh, that would actually be viable and, and working. Uh, the best example of this in the New Testament is who? Paul and starting Jesus, right? Jesus, then Paul, uh, if you, Jesus, uh, we really was just here three and a half years. And I would guess he never talked to a larger number of people than would number in the thousands uh, total. And he only covered a very small area. Uh, but then, remember, he told the disciples they were going, going ahead afterwards. And have you ever thought of it from his standpoint that what if Jesus had spent all his time just teaching himself, but had not trained uh, the disciples, the 12 and the 70? Uh, we wouldn't have had the explosion that we had in the first century. Uh, what is there about Paul that makes you, when you think of his letters, that lets you realize that uh, he was doing a lot more than just trying to convert people himself? He always had at least one with him. Okay, he had people, uh, uh, remember he converted, after he converted Timothy, he obviously trained Timothy, didn't he? And, and he left Timothy behind, and he left Titus behind. And then there was Demas, of course, Demas, uh, eventually left him. Uh, Luke was his companion, but Paul always had those that he was sending and working with, uh, and he would eventually drop out of the picture. And so I would suggest to you that the goal uh, is to have a viable evangelistic program uh, that will continue on, and, and in the long run, that is the, the only way that will really work. Do you what happened? They got me hooked on evangelism. Uh, always from the first uh, of my conversion, uh, I believed that it was essential and, you know, you should do it. And it was good and everything like that. But I just didn't think of myself as, as that way. Uh, in fact, if uh, you had asked my graduating class who was least likely to be a preacher, I'd probably be up at the top of the list. And that's not just saying it. I mean, that just wasn't me. Uh, and I wasn't headed in that direction. And even after my conversion, I was not the type of person that uh, the older ladies walked up to and said, honey, you ought to be a preacher or something like that, you know, or, or the elders or anything. That, I, they just didn't do that uh, 
with me. So it, was, it wasn't me at all. But Barbara and I were very fortunate in that we worked with a congregation after I got out of the Marine Corps and we got married in Washington, D.C. And the preacher there, a man by the name of Floyd Davis, was extremely evangelistic himself. And he really developed a program in that church. And I was one of those individuals that he had to twist my arm to get me in the program. In fact, to, to be honest with you, and we'll get to this thing of the importance of friendship, I did it because I liked him. Uh, you, know, for, you know, it's hard not to like somebody and want to please them if they seem to like you. You, know, you think about that. If somebody has showed an interest in you, and they just seem to like you and to care about you and be interested in you, then it's really hard not to respond to the things that they would like to have you do. And so he got me in the program simply because I liked him. I never thought of myself as the type of person that, that would really be good at this kind of thing. This was back when the Jewel Miller film strips came out. And so Barbara and I grabbed up our film strips and and I reluctantly, she was, she's more outgoing and everything than, than I was, and still is for that matter. But anyway, reluctantly, we head out and, and we study. And we had a lady that we was studying with. And after the fifth lesson, she just says she wants to be baptized. And it took me by surprise. I mean, I went there to, have, to show the film strips, not to baptize anybody. <laughs> And I didn't know what to do, and so I had to get on the phone and call the preacher. He explained to me, and I went down there, and, you know, I got, I got as wet as she did. But something happened. I honestly believe I was happy, as happy as she was. And I think what happened that caused me to develop the kind of confidence that I feel on this, and I'll be honest with you, I feel very confident when it, when it comes to evangelism. I'm looking at it from the long run. I feel very confident about the program here. Uh, looking at it uh, from the long, long range. But I realized something. Can you see anything? What I've just told you. Can you see anything about the gospel that would have given me confidence on that experience? Where's the power, obviously, at? The power is in the gospel. You see, I may not be a beautiful person. I may be a very poor imitation of Christ. You know, I'm heading in that direction but falling dramatically short. And, but Christ is beautiful. Uh, and, and the same, uh, even with my background, I can remember reading the Gospels, and what stood out to me above everything else was the personality of Christ and his person. He was the perfect person. And that just grabbed my mind. I remember uh, in a study some weeks back, and, and we were talking about Al, uh, evidences, and Alba had brought out that uh, one of the prime things to him was the perfection of Christ, the fact that perfect life that you have portrayed in the Gospels. And so that uh, that was attractive to me. Uh, I, my father, stepfather, was a career soldier. I lived in a world of, of drinking and fun and, and lasciviousness and things like that. That was the world that, uh, that we lived in. Uh, and yet it could shine through all of that and, and, and just stand out. And so anyway, it just re-impressed on my mind that, you know, the power is in, is in Christ, uh, and it's in the gospel. Uh, and the same God that made us has given us the gospel. He obviously knew what would turn us on spiritually, and he knew what would reach us and what would change us. And, and that was the, the biggest thing to me. And so I walked out, and, 
within not too many months after that experience, um, you know, I was preaching and teaching and, and had made the decision that I was, I was going back to school and, and going to preach. But the difference, what was the confidence factor? Let's pause here a minute. Uh, what do we, when we say evangelism, what does that mean to you guys? Okay, reaching others would, would be involved. Uh, somebody want to add to that? Sowing the seed. Evangelism is sowing seed, reaching others. Anybody want to add to that? Okay, Matthew 28, 19 through 20. Uh, make disciples of all the nations, baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, teach them to do whatsoever things I have commanded you. Anything else involved in it? I would think of a teacher and a learner. Teacher and a learner. Okay, in evangelism, you, it takes two uh, parties here, a teacher and a learner. So sowing the seed, uh, a teacher and a learner, uh, the command to uh, make disciples, uh, anything else? Okay, uh, what Brenda mentioned, the term that you're hearing a lot about now is something called friendship evangelism. And so that maybe there's uh, a part in this. Uh, in fact, I just mentioned in my situation that it was a, a fellow that I regarded as a friend that motivated me to consider some things I wouldn't have considered uh, otherwise. Any other thing? Evangelism is taking, what is the, what's the word gospel mean? Good news, okay? What do we mean by good, what is the worst possible news that we all have to deal with? Death. Death. There's nothing worse, is it? I mean, if, if uh, somebody's had a wreck, if they've, had a, if they've got a disease, if they've got terminal cancer or whatever it is, um, that is bad news for one reason. There's a possibility of death. I mean, what happens to the car wreck if there's no possibility of death or being maimed or destroying quality of life or anything like that. It's, it's, it's life at the end. And so the, the good news is that there's the claim here of the answer to death. Um, if it is true, can you conceive in your mind of anybody not being interested? You know, it's, it's interesting to me because I didn't go to church and all through high school and before that, and, and I knew I had friends that went who, you know, didn't really say much to me or anything like that. And sometimes when I think back on it, they, they just seem to have the attitude that I couldn't possibly be interested in that. Uh, my best friend, my senior in high school, uh, his dad was a chaplain uh, in the military. And I can remember, I would have liked to have got him into religious discussion. I had questions. He didn't know about it. And he wouldn't look at me and guess that I had those questions, but they were there. He never talked to me. He never said one word. He never brought up the subject. I guess he, he just simply couldn't believe uh, that I would be interested in that. But we all are. We're all going to die. And I don't care about that old male macho guy that is projecting this image of being so tough or whatever. Uh, he's projecting an image. Uh, the real person knows that he's very frail. And there's all kinds of things that can take you out of here. And, and we, all, we all deal with that. Okay, so evangelism then is 
sowing the seeds that will uh, lead to putting the, the good news in, in people's mind and, and what is the end result of evangelism? What are we looking forward to? What's the, what's the, should be in? Okay, we, we want somebody to have eternal life. Uh, that, I mean, that's the, the long run. There's nothing more important that you can do for another individual. Um, and that's interesting to me in the, uh, when I look at the church and, and here and all, that uh, there's just nothing else you can do that even compares with that. We, we say it so often that it's almost redundant, but there is nothing you can do for another human being that even compares with taking them from a state of being separated from God until a state of having eternal life. Uh, Mark, did you? Right. What Mark said, it's eternal life out there, but even the quality of life beginning right now is something far superior to anything that could actually happen in the world. The peace, the tranquility of spirit, uh, walking without fear, walking with confidence and things like that, uh, a, a better way to bring up children, a better way to have a, have a marriage, all of that goes, goes with it. That's correct. Here's a handout. I want each of you to... This to look at. Uh, Mark, would you? Along with Mark's thought, um, just the idea that, that this works, this, this is the way of life that is, if you follow this, you will be successful with people who, if, if you will observe, just observe life on Solomon did. And um, he, he made the statement that whoever does not find me, talking about wisdom, uh, the wisdom of God, whoever does not find me, finds himself. So we're sharing that with people too. Things that are going to help their marriages be better, help them raise their children. Yeah, think about this a minute on what uh, was mentioned by first Mark here and all that uh, we mentioned this somewhat last night. Does everybody? Surely, if you watch the news, you everybody knows about the OJ thing. I hate to mention it in the sense that it's talked about all the time, but I find all kinds of things interesting about it. And the latest interest to me was here's this very dignified, uh, attractive lady who's at the type of her profession, and she's the prosecuting attorney. And here's the other attorney, and he's a multimillionaire, and he's at the top of his profession. And, and they are so articulate, you know, and so professional and everything like that. And then what comes out all the time they're up there, what about the life of this lady? Her life is in such turmoil that she can barely concentrate on the subject at hand. She's going through a divorce. Uh, she's in a custody battle over her children. Uh, life is not happy for her. And, and the prosecuting attorney, the same thing. He's already had multiple marriages. He's got multiple children by these various marriages. Uh, life is not really happy for him. And it's sad that when people see these characters on TV, I'm talking about the movies and all, that they don't really realize that most of them don't live really happy lives and that, that we actually have something here that can change a life around and, and can lead people to have good marriages and, and, and good children and, and be successful in their life in a way that they couldn't be otherwise. Um, look over here on the left column here, the, the part that is in the rectangular uh, side on the left, the first statement, Making a place in your life for non-Christian neighbors demands effort, thought, 
and at times risk. Bridges are harder to construct than walls, but that doesn't alter this reality. Now notice this, outsiders to faith are first drawn to Christians, then to Christ. What do you think about that statement? Is that contrary to anything Jesus taught, or is it in harmony with what he taught? Okay. We Now, think about some of our complaints sometimes. We, we complain that the public school system's not teaching the Bible. You know, like, like we want a Jehovah's Witness in there teaching the Bible to our, our somebody else or, or an atheist or an infidel or something like that. But, I mean, we complain. We use that as an excuse that the world's so bad, you know, is that we're not teaching the Bible like we should in the public school system. Um, think on that now. Uh, nobody, we're saying nobody out there is reading the Bible, but according to this, it, did Jesus teach that if we just circulate the books? I mean, uh, like, in other words, if we just became an organization like the Gideons, and we just go around handing out Bibles all the time, is that what he, I mean, that's fine. I'm, I'm glad they do that. But did he ask us to do that? But he asked us to, to live a certain way. And if we lived a certain way, certain things were going to happen, not only in us, but in others. And so he makes this observation here. Yes, the, the power is in, in Christ and in the gospel. But we are first drawn to Christ through Christians who may not be a perfect imitation of Christ, but we at least ought to be some degree uh, of an imitation of Christ. And that's, that's the, all right, is it fair to say we, taught, we have something called the plan of salvation that we used to talk about and presented in, I believe, a very legal way? Uh, would it be fair to say that according to Jesus' plan of salvation, Jesus' plan of evangelism, is that people uh, outside would be attracted to him and, and to this news uh, through the lives of his followers? And could we support that in passages in the New Testament so that we are to be? Well, look at the statement by Paul Harvey here. I use that sometime back. Uh, Too many Christians are no longer fishers of men but keepers of the aquarium. What does he mean by that? Let's think of the Kingston Church, because that's where we are. Uh, are we keepers of the aquarium? I mean, if you were looking at it in, the, in, in just the broad spectrum, how would, which category would we come in? Are we keepers of the aquarium, or are we fishers of men? Okay. Okay, and let's, let's show what happens when we're keepers of the aquarium. We've had, how many young people have been baptized since January? About four, that's great. It's great. And, and that's, I've been here since uh, June, four baptisms. Let me ask you this. Since June, how many people in this congregation have died? I know Danny had three funerals in one week. See, that's what happens when you're keepers of the aquarium. You, you know, people are, you're baptizing young children, and the older people are, are dying off. Uh, and, uh, and then what's going to happen to some of these young people that were baptized? There will be a certain percent. And then are some of them going to, we're thinking about the church at Kingston and, and being a viable witness. Are some of them, I've got, I've reared six children. Not a one of them is at home right now. 
you know, they're at Morgantown and Nashville and Memphis and, and, and all over the place. Uh, and one of them, of course, in college. And the children are going to go where the jobs are. They have to. If they're a girl, they're going to get married, and, and they're going to go where their husband, even if he goes to Africa, <laughs> they're going. So I'm saying that is good, but that still is that's keeping the aquarium. And I thought that was an interesting statement by Paul Harvey. Now, looking at churches in general, not just Kingston, but all, uh, where is the emphasis? We're talking about not as some done, but where is the emphasis on being uh, fishers of men or keepers of the aquarium? Are you taking the status quo? Okay, think of our programs. Uh, I, I read church bulletins regularly. You know, we have a lot to come into office, and I have a lot that comes to the house, and, and you can tell a lot about a church bulletin. Uh, you can tell what's going on in the church. And it says, we're going to have a Thursday's the skating party. Uh, such and such is, is this party. Uh, the couples are going for this situation here, you know. Or we're going to get together and we do this. Uh, we're going to get together and clean the building, you know. Or we're going to build a new addition. Or we're going to paint. Or we're going to do this. And, and most of it revolves around, and it is very, very unusual to pick up a bulletin and where there's anything said about evangelism or trying to reach out or do anything or, or something of that, of that nature. So I'm saying the that the emphasis is on that type of thing, isn't it, from the standpoint of the congregations? Barbara? Uh, I think in fairness to the, the leadership, and I think that that, that needs to be said, I think that they are, they are they need to be Oh yeah, we're talking about the church as a whole. Yeah, the, the, yeah right. No, I'm talking about all around. Uh, the, the elders here saw the very thing that we're talking about. And that's why they, they right, right. That it's, uh, and then we go, what, this morning, what if we were having a, a fun activity? You think there'd be more people here? I think there would too. Uh, so that I'm saying the emphasis is there. Now look at uh, the next statement on down. Skip on down to where uh, you have the by Sheldon Van Duken. I hope I pronounced his name right. Two statements there. The best argument for Christianity is Christians. Their joy, their certainty, their completeness. But the strongest argument against Christianity is Christians. All right, now, does the world get a mixed message from Christianity? And I'm using Christianity in the all-encompassing sense. Is the world getting a mixed message? On the one hand, you've got Mother Teresa. On the other hand, you've got the mafia, where 98% of them are claiming to be Christians, you know, and going to mass and things like that. Uh, when we look at the, that those that professed, in the workforce where you are, do Christians send a mixed, mixed message? I mean, there are those that, that really, and then those, and so that uh, it's really not the same as if we had, and so we've got something there that, that maybe has to be counteracted, and I think that's good to keep in our, our mind, because one of the arguments that we're going to get uh, is going to align in this area there. Now, look over here at the article by Buckley. He makes a statement that uh, 
He said in right about the middle of that first paragraph, I simply look at it uh, as helping people to find out that Jesus Christ is their very best friend and that he has more to offer than we can hope or imagine. Christ offers the forgiveness of sins, the gift of God's presence in our lives, a sense of direction and purpose, a church family, the hope of eternal life, and numerous other spiritual blessings. Okay. When people out in the business world have something to offer, what do they do? They advertise. They advertise. Generally, although we joke about advertisements and, and complain and all like that, but don't they serve a, a viable function? I mean, we, we generally, I think, look at the advertisements and, and, and make up our mind about the things we're going to consider. And so they, they advertise. Now, already we've said, what does Jesus intend to be the number one advertisement for Christianity? Christians. The Christians themselves. I mean, that, that is, his, that is in t his intention, all right? Then, and of course, we as a congregation then become an advertisement for the Lord uh, in, in this community. Okay, see your good works and glorify the Father in heaven. Okay, now, let me ask you this. When you think on this uh, subject of evangelism uh, and trying to reach others as a church, do we think of it in the same sense of uh, the Lord's Supper, uh, singing, praying, living a good life, or is it, does it tend to be thought of as something that uh, is good for some people? be concerned about. I mean, is it an essential thing of, of a Christian's life? The thing of evangelism. Okay, that's, uh, that's exactly, Emily can identify with that. That's what we hire the preacher for. Uh, uh, that, that's exactly right. Uh, the, I, th I think so. Uh, uh, by the way, there are preachers that have got discouraged and good preachers that have got discouraged and quit along the way because they, they felt that. That uh, that's that's what we hired hired the preacher for. Um, well, you may as well hire the preacher to take the Lord's Supper for you, uh, or, or something of that nature. That uh, one person just happens to be doing it full time, and you're going to support that person, to, you know, to do something full time. But reality, if we're going to stick with the New Testament, is evangelism a command type thing, just like all the other things that we regard as essential? I mean, is there anybody that would differ with that? That, it's, that it is a command, essential thing. Can a Christian be pleasing to God and not be concerned about evangelism? And not, right, Let me ask you this, one other question. In Matthew 10, 32, where he says, if you confess me before men, I'll confess you before the Father. You deny me and, and I'll deny you. Um, in this context, was Jesus talking about this confession that people make before baptism? Have you, that's sometimes used, isn't it, when people are, I've heard that passage read, and it's fine, it's okay to read it, 
But is that really what he's talking about? What is he talking about? Anybody that's familiar off the top of their head with the context of Matthew 10, when he says, if you confess me, I'll confess you, you deny me, and, and I'll deny you. And, and he made it clear that there was going to be some problems in the confession. In the context, what is, what is being asked Jesus of the disciples? To live the life. He's sending them out. Okay, live the life. He's, he's sending them out, isn't he? And he knows there's going to be obstacles along the way. I mean, after all, when, when somebody is in a particular sin and, and you tell them that, uh, you know, they need to repent and, and have be forgiven by God and everything, what do they sometimes do? They always like it? Okay, they... Yeah. My life's none of your business, Brenda. You know, that if I, if I want your advice, I'll ask for it. And isn't that, uh, and so I mean, there's things there. Or you bring up the subject of religion. Uh, I'm a denomination A, and I'm perfectly satisfied. You know, that that's case closed, you know, or, or whatever, whatever it may be. I mean, it's just, this is, this is off limits in that area. And so there's some difficulties involved. In fact, one of the areas that we all fear the most, I think, and I think that's the problem in this area. It was with me. What is the area that we feel in, in doing anything with other people? Rejection. Rejection. Uh, with the, the guys, it, it goes back to even the dating process. And, and here is the girl that you would like to ask that girl out, but it would be a crusher if she said no. And, and so that generally the, there's got to be enough confidence that is she going to say yes? And the, and the real crusher is not so much that she doesn't go. There's another one that will. But there's just something about that rejection uh, that can be a crusher. Or the girl that is interested in a particular guy and, and she would like for some of the others to let him know that she's interested in him, but she's... Her heart's beating faster, and, and she's a little bit concerned because maybe he's not interested in me. And it's that rejection factor. Um, campaigns where you canvassed an area. Okay, when you go up, the, uh, is that the number one fear that you deal with? The, the rejection? Uh, that's the, you're, you're all the time, you don't know what kind of a person is going to open this door, you know, and I know they're not all interested and, and some are going to be an, uh, obstinate, but it's the rejection factor. So Jesus in this Matthew 10 said, I know it's difficult. I know it's difficult. And he said, there's, there's going to be a temptation not to say anything because it's difficult and, and the rejection factor that's going to be involved. And he says, you need to. Uh, you need to go ahead and, and confess. And he says, remember, I'm going to confess you uh, before, before the Father. But that is, a, I think, a big factor in it. Now, another question. In this series of classes, get-togethers, when we talk about evangelism, and we have an understanding of, of what and, and why and things like that, a basic understanding, what are some of the things that you would like to get out of the class that would help you personally be better at evangelism? Well, I think besides being rejected, I think the other very spirit 
like I would have would be not having the knowledge and not being prepared to answer the questions that were posed to me. I think that can be just about as frightening as the actual rejection. You'd never guess I taught in elementary school. Most elementary teachers, you know, are ladies and have these perfect handwritings. I used to find these very nice girls that had good handwritings and, and they would, good handwriting, they'd go to the board and do all the writing for me. Um, that's good. I think that is, I know what, what you just mentioned, Todd, when I first got started and, and I mentioned the preacher that uh, uh, in D.C., I'm thinking, what in the world is he going to ask that I, you know, that I don't know the answer to? Or can I handle all the things that he's going to throw at me? So there's rejection, uh, there's the knowledge factor, uh, something else. Uh, Mark? Okay, so, in other words, how to use a normal, natural conversation uh, to get the gospel into it. In some way, shape, and form. How to, here we are, we're, you know, we're exchanging pleasantries about the weather. Uh, we're talking about who won last night's ball game. We're talking about the O.J. Simpson trial. We're talking about uh, what happened over here or, or who's running for office. And, and, and then we're talking about other various things. And so we're... We're looking for ways, uh, without being obnoxious, uh, without uh, turning the person off, but in a natural way. And we can all just get it in, right? We can all just uh, say, here it is, you know. But we're looking for ways that, that in a natural way, okay, that's good. And we're going to deal with that. The knowledge factor, the conversation, the, the fear of rejection, we're going to deal, deal with that. Uh, Barbara? Other groups, yeah. In, in other groups, yes. That it just seems so free. Right. You can learn something from them. I have a hairdresser that I love dearly, and she has no problem with bringing out just religious conversation all the time and what Jesus has done for her and how he's helped her marriage and how she shared the news with whoever. Right. And it just seems so free. It just flows so sure. I agree. Some of the Pentecostal groups have a lot to teach all of us in that area. They real do. We've had some friends that uh, the conversation about Jesus and what he had done ran freely from their mouth and it was just part of them. And, and uh, that, that's right. That, that we, 
but developing a comfort zone here, uh, getting it, the right things into the conversation. And I believe that's, I know with me back, that used to be the same concerns that you've expressed. What's something else that, uh, so far as the class that would, that would help you as, as an individual? You're in the conversation, the, the knowledge, uh, the rejection. Uh, what about uh, talking with strangers? Everybody feel pretty comfortable with that? I'd say that that's one of the more uh, difficult. How do you, uh, I mean, after all, you, every friend is first a what? Stranger. Uh, Floyd Davis that I mentioned in Washington, D.C., I didn't know him from Adam until I got there. He was first a stranger to me. Within a few months, uh, he was a, a friend. You know, that, uh, but every friend was at one time a stranger. This person you married was at one time a stranger. And so then the, the question is that uh, before you can have friends, you, you first have to, and I would suggest to you, people who have a lot of friends, one of their characteristics is they're good at talking with strangers. Uh, and people that are very good people, have you ever known people that are just really good people when you got to know them? They were moral, they were dependable, they were kind and everything like that, but they didn't have a lot of friends. And one reason is they were just hesitant and backward about talking with strangers and developing relationships with strangers. And so that, that the ability to handle ourselves with strangers uh, is going to be absolutely essential. And, doing what we're going to talk about here. Now, let me give you this handout, and after I want you to look at this, and then we're going to take a break. This is what I consider the, of all the, var the various handouts, this is the one that I consider the key. Set to the next row behind you. That's exactly right. In fact, uh, I think on what we're talking about, Joe, here, that's very important that uh, it is possible to take a person that could be turned on and turn them off by saying, uh, and by the way, a good example, I think, of what you're talking about, uh, we go back to this little courting thing with uh, when we're here, you got this uh, little gal that you would like to ask out. But you're thinking, you're a complete stranger to her. And so if you just walk up and say, hey, would you go to the movies with me? What do you think she's going to say? She's going to say, no. Uh, even if you're a real good looking dude, because she, she doesn't know you. So what are you going to do? You don't, uh, most of us don't do that. At least I never did that. You know, you don't, uh, you don't go up and do that kind of thing. What do we do? You guys said, you guys are so old, we need some of the younger ones. Well, you forgot, you forgot what it is to ask a girl out. <laughs> uh, what do we do? Sure. You get a, you, we call it courting, don't we? What we're really doing is getting acquainted. And so what this guy is really trying to do is, is to lead this to the point that he asks her out. But he knows that if he asks her out too soon, it may be rejection. So what he's going to do, he's going to take, and he develops a feel for this, right? He, you develop a feel, and then you, whatever it is that you say, and you're around this person, and you're courteous, and all that good stuff, and then you reach this point, and you think, now I think she'd go out with me. 
and then you go ahead and, and, and ask her. I think the same process, Joe, that we, we're playing it by ear, and I, by the way, anything we do, the more we do of it, the better we get. And I believe this is one of those areas, too, that we, we are feeling through this. We know where we want to be, but we've got to build to that point, and we can do it too soon. Uh, Donna? It made me think of the Bible with a woman whose husband's an unbeliever. He says, by your words and actions and by your life, Right. And how you convert that person. Right. How you lead that, that person, First Peter 3. Right. Right. But at Joe's point is well taken. I have, uh, I have been turned off before with people who had good things. Even when you go in to uh, talk to a car salesman, can he say too much too quick? Yeah. Now, it will reach that point where it's obvious that I'm interested in that car and I'm interested in a price and buying and everything. That's the time, and, and good salesmen know this. And so a good salesman is going to stand back and let me watch, let me, let me look, let me ask questions and everything like that. He's not going to be pushy. But then when he sees that I am interested in this particular vehicle, well, now he's going to move in. And if he moves in too soon, at least with me, he's going to run me off. Uh, nothing will run me out of the place quicker than somebody that's pushy with me. Uh, so he has to play it right, and I think in the, the same way here, and there's a real feel we get for this. Look at this chart just briefly, and we'll take a, take a break. Okay, just look at the chart here. And, uh, well, I'll tell you what, go ahead and take a break, and then we'll come back and start with this chart, okay? Okay.